Good morning, everyone, and welcome to day three of the Royal Statistical Society annual conference. We've got a really great packed agenda for you today. Um, but today, we're, before we begin our scheduled programming, we're going to have a quick chat about an interesting statistical issue that's been very prominent in the UK political news in the last few months, that of the use of statistical methods to adjust pupils' exam scores. Um, I'll just give a bit of background. If you're a UK attendee, you may know all this background already, but I know we have attendees from around the world. Um, UK students take um, school leaving exams, typically at the age of 18. Normally, those exams happen, as exams often do, in, in large crowded exam rooms. Because of COVID this year, the government made the decision that those exams could not go ahead, which presented everyone with problem. Um, we needed to work out what, how to award grades to students who wouldn't be sitting exams. Um, and that led to what seems now to have been known as the A-levels, the exam fiasco, which was a big political scandal in the UK. Um, a lot of students ended up being, the government decided that um, a what, what some people called a mutant algorithm, uh, that an algorithm would be used to award grades to adjust teachers' predictions of what students would have got to come up with a grade for each student. And it turned out when those results were announced that there were a large number of errors, a large number of people that got mystifying or disappointing results. It resulted in a huge public scandal, a lot of very disappointed people, um, and a big government U-turn where they unwound the process. It's interesting for us, both from a point of view of the use of statistics in education, but also more broadly about the use of algorithms in government more generally. And I'm delighted that we've got three experts here from the Royal Statistical Society, all of whom have been deeply involved in trying to monitor this process, trying to help the UK government do the right thing. Um, unfortunately, our advice was 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 not taken up, but they've also played a role in looking at what happened and trying to work out how the UK government and other governments could do this better in the future. I'll quickly introduce them. Professor Paula Williamson, who's Professor of Medical Statistics at the University of Liverpool. Professor Guy Nason, who's Professor of Statistics at Imperial College in London. And Sharon Witherspoon, who's the Royal Statistical Society's Vice President of Education and Statistical Literacy and Director of Policy at the Campaign for Social Science. Um, if I can turn, first of all, uh, to you, Paula, um, can you just tell us a bit about what British schools were asked to do and why that was a, why that was a challenge. Yeah. Thanks, Dean. Um, and good morning, everybody. And um, just first to declare my conflicts of interest in this situation. So I have twin boys who should have been taking A-levels this summer. And I also have uh, one husband who's teaching A-levels and uh, had to submit centre-assessed grades and ranks for students. Um, I would recommend anybody who's particularly interested in this uh, topic and issue to read the transcript of the Education Select Committee meeting from the 2nd of September. Um, I personally listened to it and I reread it and it's very illuminating on many points. Um, so to start with, just roll back to the 23rd of March. So the Secretary of State for Education gave a written statement to Parliament at that time saying that the exam boards will be asking teachers who know their students well to submit their judgment about the grade that they believe the student would have received if exams had gone ahead. So at this point, Students and parents could be forgiven, <coughs> excuse me, could be forgiven for thinking that they would be awarded these CAGs, Centre Assessment Grades. Now, I've got two main points to make. 
Uh, one related to the guidance that was issued to schools, to heads and teachers, and the other to a decision that was made about the process. So on the 3rd of April, Ofqual issued guidance to heads of assessment centres. And that guidance was subsequently updated seven weeks later on the 22nd of May. Um, now, Ofqual had noted that obviously since schools had closed on the 18th of March and because England was in lockdown, um, there was no opportunity for Ofqual to help to standardise the way uh, in which teachers, they couldn't standardise teachers before they made their judgments. Their guidance included two, several points to take into account, but two in particular were that previous results in a centre, in the subject, um, it was advised that that was taken into account, and also the performance of the current 2020 year students compared to those in previous years. So as an example of, of what some teachers I know did, after they had graded and ranked their students, some teachers sense-checked their CAGs by calculating their value-added statistic for their 2020 cohort and comparing it to their historical value-added statistics that are always calculated by schools and colleges to check if there were any outliers and whether they could be justified if questioned. But Ofqual were not planning to rely solely on centre assessment grades. So they noted that while the approach to awarding grades this summer was still at the early stages of consideration, we judged that CAGS and rank order would both be needed to determine final grades. Now, I'm sure that Guy will comment further on this ranking approach, but I think it needs to be noted, Ofqual ran a consultation in April about particular aspects of their proposed approach. And some respondents raised concerns then about the challenges of rank ordering in subjects with large cohorts of students and multiple teachers. Other respondents suggested the need for a defined process for both determining centre assessment grades and rank ordering. Now, teachers did have to submit a statement about the methodology that they used to their head, but not to Ofqual. So my question is whether the guidance that was issued was piloted first with teachers and centre heads from diverse centres and subject, could it be consistently applied as written? Now, my second point relates to a decision that was made about the process. Again, in the Ofqual consultation in April, this particular question was asked, to what extent do you agree or disagree that using an approach to statistical standardisation which emphasises historical evidence of centre performance given the prior attainment of students is likely to be fairest for all students. Some respondents discussed strategies that could be used to allow centres to provide supporting evidence if the data for this year's cohort indicated a different outcome to their historical data. One respondent actually said, Ofqual should consider whether there is a case for examining further evidence from centres where there are significant changes in the results achieved. Statistical standardisation approaches can certainly do a good job of flagging apparently anomalous or unexpected results. Now, although Ofqual did compare the centre assessed grades against their standardised results, there was no plan to undertake centre audits, either at random or for cause, if anomalies were found. They had decided to address this issue through the appeals process, rather than in advance of results being issued a decision that I personally think could be questioned. Now, perhaps the timeline was the issue, but I think it would be really help helpful to understand that particular decision.
seen. I hope that gives a flavour of of what the schools were asked to do under the very difficult circumstances. It really casts light on what a challenging process they were being asked to undertake. Um, if I might turn now to, to, to Guy. Guy, like Paula, you've been involved um, as an observer of this process for many months now. And I know that as soon as Ofqual finally published their 319-page methodology, you were on it and re- analysed it and live-tweeted the results. Can you tell us about what the problems with what Ofqual ended up doing to try and adjust these grades was? Sure. And I should say that myself and uh, several other people were on it uh, literally as soon as we knew the kind of data that Ofqual uh, were asking schools to provide. I mean, some of the things that they were asking for, I think we were immediately a bit worried about what they were attempting to do several months ago and communicated that um, a little bit indirectly, perhaps, uh, to Ofqual and other people around the process. I mean, I think it's fair to say that there are a whole host of issues here. Um, it was a very, very difficult thing to have to do to cancel exams and a very, very challenging suggestion to try and sort things out using a statistical process. And, and that was definitely, um, you know, not, not an easy thing. Um, I should say also, it's not just England. Um, this was an issue that was across uh, the four devolved nations. Um, before the uh, fiasco blew up in um, England, I mean, it blew up in Scotland. Uh, and similar issues were happened in the other nations as well. But um, I guess I'm here to kind of maybe just uh, focus on some of the more statistical issues, of which there are plenty. I just wrote down a few notes this morning. It goes to several pages of what might be considered to be wrong about the algorithm. Paula mentioned that um, I was very exercised about rankings, um, and I, that's that's exactly the case. Um, that was one of my main points for many months. Um, of course, we're collecting information about predicted grades from centres, um, and, you know, it was it was um, realized, of course, that there was uncertainty around those, so much so that they felt that they might need to adjust those through some statistical process. But what seemed immediately strange was that they were willing to accept rankings from centres. Uh, and I think the word in the Scottish system was used. These rankings should be treated as sacrosanct, unchangeable, true, accurate. And it was that dichotomy there. You know, one set of information coming from schools was very uncertain. We need to adjust it. The other somehow was magically accurate and true. So it was very weird that uncertainty wasn't um, appreciated within the rankings. I thought that was a big issue. Paul has already mentioned some of the issues that school had in trying to rank students, especially for large cohorts where it's a big problem. And that's actually quite important because rankings are used to drop students into grades. And if you really believe uh, the rankings, that's fine. But if there's uncertainty, you don't know that you're dropping the right students into the right grades. Um, it also sets up a slightly different kind of exam for the nation. These are no longer national exams. You're essentially competing against um, colleagues at your exam center. So it gives a very different flavor to the exam. So there were my main things um, on rankings. But there were many other things. The testing procedure they used was severely flawed and criticized. Um, they divided schools into different sizes. Um, it's not quite clear where those numbers have come from. I'm doing some work on that at the moment. But I should say, as well as the statistical issues, there were severe legal issues with what they were attempting to do. And they were about to be taken to court um, by two groups of lawyers, as far as I know. Um, and it would, be, it would have been interesting to see how that would have um, um, gone. So I guess the questions I have, and maybe um, Sharon's going to talk about this, is, you know, who really developed this? Who was involved? And where was the oversight in the system? You know, who was really looking at this and stepping back and saying, what are the issues here? Uh, are we doing the right thing? And I think that's 
probably for the RSS, that's a very serious issue that we need to look at uh, in algorithms more generally, not just in, in this situation. Thank you, Guy. And I will hand over to you, Sharon. We've got three minutes for you to have the last word about what bigger questions this throws up. All right, I'll try to be very brief. I want to thank all of you, you three, because I've been the one uh, tasked with writing uh, the consultation documents and responses. And I want to be clear that all of the issues that Paula and Guy have raised were raised by us throughout the process. This is not a question of hindsight. And it's very important to bear that in mind. But it seems to me the fundamental fault was the statistical process had to award grades to individual students or was designed to do that while preserving the system feature of a very low level of grade inflation. And that was probably the source of the real error. As Guy said, there are legal issues with that. But that when you're statistically estimating individual results, it's very different from doing statistical modeling of aggregate data. And particularly in this case where the level of accuracy really mattered to the individual students. And by accuracy, I don't just mean the fact that 40% nearly of A-level students in England were downgraded. I mean, you couldn't even be sure the right students were the ones that were downgraded or downgraded the most. So not enough attention has been paid to that. I think Paula is right to raise the issue of whether there would have been a process of auditing schools. And that is an issue that, again, we should be pressing because that relates partly to proper statistical thinking. In effect, this is a multi-level model, and they could have very quickly looked for outliers, flagged those using statistical procedures, and then set up some sort of audit, even over Zoom. I don't think this recall required face-to-face -face visits. So if they thought more properly about the statistical features as well as the uh, moral and legal features, I think that might have been uh, something to do for. Now, I know there have been some calls for the RSS to try to examine the details of what Ofqual did, and I hope that various fellows, including people like Guy, will be doing that. But for the RSS as a whole, it seems to me, the biggest prize is to work with the Office for Statistics Regulation and others to ensure this doesn't happen again. And we need better rules and guidance about what to do when government wants to use statistical estimation for individual level decisions and determination. That The difficulty of doing that was shown by the fact that OSR, the Office for Statistics Regulation, was initially reluctant to get involved in this. So we had to write a formal request. And though I started with some sympathy for off-call, uh, it was difficult to maintain this when we were actually attacked by them as having misled the public about um, non-disclosure agreements and that we had undermined trust. So I think we need to work with a wide range of others to say, how do we get the guidance that starts people thinking correctly about aggregate versus individual level statistical estimations? And what issues of statistical judgment, but also professional responsibility flow from that? Right now, the political focus is on who set the constraint on grade inflation. But we also need to ask, why did the statisticians in Ofqual and DFE not see that this was quite a fundamental issue? And what protections would they have had had they raised that concern and said it just simply wasn't uh, correct to do it? 
And the final point I want to make is we've talked throughout our policy consultations and presentations to the select committees and so on. We've talked about a failure of transparency. That's crucial and vital, but transparency is a pretty abstract concept. And Ofqual's response has been, well, we had a consultation and we presented a slideshow. I think what this process has also showed is we need more guidance, not only on the substantive issues, but in this sort of situation, what is a standard for transparency to ensure wider, both experts in the form of RSS type involvement, but also wider democratic involvement. Thank you, Sharon. Um, and thank you, Guy and Paula, for that whistle-stop tour of the A-level issue. We will now hand you over to the beginning of the conference proceedings for today. Thank you very much all for listening.